Welcome to Exploration Radio, a podcast on the past, present, and the future of exploration. In episode 23, we interviewed Mary Poulton, a professor of mining engineering and the director of the Lowell Institute of Mineral Resources at the University of Arizona in the U.S. Our conversation with Mary revolved around how the definition of mining development has changed over the last few decades. As an industry, our value proposition to communities, local stakeholders, and society in general cannot now just be about providing jobs or purely an economic benefit to them. It has to fit in with their core values. If you missed the episode, I recommend checking it out. While recording the interview with Mary, our conversation went on a tangent into what Mary has learned while dabbling in entrepreneurship and startups, trying to commercialize some of her research. Now, researchers and academics often complain that they have a hard time getting industry to be interested in or utilizing their research. They struggle to have impact with their work. What I personally found interesting was Mary's views on how adopting an entrepreneurial mindset and even a lean startup business model could help academics and researchers better design and implement their research projects. If you're involved in academia, I'd encourage you to have a listen to this conversation and let us know what you think about it. Now, originally, this conversation did not fit the theme of episode 23, but it was still a great conversation with wonderful insights. So we've decided to release it as a mini episode. Hope you enjoy it. So you obviously play in the space of technology as well. Our uh, ability to look at technology, a perfect microcosm of how we deal with change in a lot of ways? Um, yes, I think so. You know, technology in terms of change always creates that level of uncertainty. Does it really work? Is it going to give me the benefit that, that you're telling me it does? And it takes a long time to get over that risk hurdle that, yeah, you've shown it works in six other locations, but my mind is always special. And therefore, right. you know, it doesn't, it, it won't work here. We tried it once 20 years ago and it didn't work. So, you know, that's, that's a dead end now. Um, it's, it's always um, good to have skepticism, but I think as well that you have to be receptive and, and willing to to really take a look at what some things can do for us. And from my perspective, we've put a lot of emphasis on the machines in mining um, and really understand everything that goes on in that haul truck or that excavator. We don't really understand the most critical part of our mining operation, which is our people. And so a lot of the technology that I work on is really kind of about putting the same emphasis on our workforce that we put on our machines over the last 30 years. That's a really fascinating point because I guess one of the things that I found in, in these technology companies that you're involved in, you are tackling kind of the, the more social side of things, you know, the more people side of things. Do you see a different rate of adoption in that versus, say, technology that's solving a technical problem? Yeah, I think actually people are slower to think about applying technology to people. And part of it could be that they're just concerned about um, labor issues, privacy issues, um, how to get your workforce engaged as opposed to simply telling them what to do. Machines don't talk back. Uh, so you can put whatever box you want on that truck. Um, the, the haul truck driver may complain, but the truck isn't going to complain. 
So I think it's, it's a little more resistance to think about your workforce in terms of really understanding how fit they are for duty on any given day, how tired they are, and really what they know. I mean, we go through training and we just assume everybody has absorbed 40 hours worth of new material. We don't really know what they don't know. Um, and so I think that uh, kind of the next leap, as far as I'm concerned, where technology should go in mining is really focused on people. I find that fascinating that you think it's worse when it's technology driven towards people rather than machines. Uh, like, you know, because I think the argument people make is that our adoption of technology when it's just machines isn't great. So if, if people is even worse, I mean, that's not a great position to be in. Yeah. And it's, um, I think one of the things that will help is that as people are more into things like their Fitbits and Apple watches and keeping track of health metrics that the workforce is almost going to drive the change. Um, and I think the workforce is almost going to say, Hey, um, I want to know more about how to do my job. And I want to know more about how to deal with a situation that might pop up that you can't teach me in the classroom. So I think to some extent, it almost needs to be uh, uh, driven from the workforce and that they need to see the benefit for making their jobs easier and safer and healthier. Then management has to accept the fact that this can do really good things for operation. Is there a problem in you as a technology provider that when you start dealing with people, you have more degrees of freedom to play with as well? Like you mentioned that, you know, you're on a training course for 40 people, you could get 40 different outcomes in how well the knowledge has been retained and then hence applied as well. So isn't that make your job a little bit more difficult? You know, it's interesting because, you know, before you couldn't deal with that. You just had to assume that there's some lowest level of understanding to aim for that, that you wanted to achieve. And now with technology and personalized learning, you know exactly what each and every person knows. You know how they'll respond. You'll know how their behaviors impact their decision making. So we can now essentially optimize the knowledge base and the proficiency for each individual, which we could never have done before. And I think that's actually going to be a, a great breakthrough, both for health and safety, but also for efficiency. I think that's a fascinating point because I think that's where the safety side of things in our industry has a long way to go. It could There could be a serious evolution or a revolution in this space because a lot of safety systems are built to cater to the lowest common denominator. And I think you could get a little bit more sophisticated than that. Yeah, we're heavily regulation-driven, particularly in the United States. I think that Australia and Canada are much more progressive in understanding safety as a system and understanding how behavior plays a role. But the U.S. is completely regulatory and rule-driven. And, uh, you know, you see most of the fatalities and the serious injuries happening to inexperienced people that encountered a situation that they didn't know how to deal with and they made a bad decision at exactly the wrong time. And you have very seasoned people who were complacent and had gotten away with doing something a certain way for a long time and never really thought about what the consequence would be. And uh, so I think that even though the U.S. is still taking this regulatory track, that the companies have room to really think about this in terms of behavior and understanding what people don't know and putting them in situations where they have to think critically in a new situation and being able to measure their, their progress over time so that 
they as a worker understand that they're really growing in the job and their understanding and their ability to solve problems and have people that don't take risks and shortcuts and, and um, don't put themselves into situations beyond what they know how to deal with. One of the, uh, the companies that you're playing with is using the, the VR world or the AR world to help safety. And I think that makes a lot of sense because the way that we often do it, it's like, yeah, once a year you do a training session, great. Yep, I kind of have that information. And as time passes, it gets slightly more jumbled in my mind. And then when the actual scenario happens and I have to rummage through this information as quickly as possible to try to get to it, kind of oppose that view to say like how sports organizations or people learn sports or practice sports. And yeah, you can see the value in repetitive training you know, in that sense. So if you could make that a little bit easier, surely that would be a benefit to everyone around. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, we can look at putting people into situations that, you know, hopefully they will never, ever encounter in their careers. But you also want to see how people will react to each other in certain situations. And so, you know, if you have difficulties between labor and a supervisor, you'd like to see that play out in the game so that you can take some corrective measures rather than having it turn into something really bad on the job site. Uh, so we have this ability, I think, with the, with the AR and VR world and being able to create these uh, situations that let people really explore how they would respond and fine tune, not just how you comply with a standard operating procedure, but how you communicate and how you manage people and your interaction. I mean, I think like you know, in those scenarios, people are your greatest source of uncertainty, really. The situation has some you know, degree of freedom to it, but the people interaction is probably the most important thing that you should be mapping out. Yeah, exactly. So it's exciting technology. We're, we're really excited about that and uh, really excited about the ability to monitor sort of people's fitness for duty. You know, are they getting too hot? Are they getting too tired? Uh, coming to work with with a virus you know coming down with the flu and put them in a cage to go underground and they sneeze and, and now your entire shift is going to have the flu so uh, being able to just kind of monitor both from the behavior side with the ar serious gaming and monitor from the health side uh with with the uh, personal monitoring that we're doing um, it's really exciting technology it's not easy to do but i think from a worker perspective it's going to make the mining environment a lot better. I guess I also want to touch a little bit on the, the fact that you are uh, an academic, which is now going into this space of commercializing technology to industry, which is not a very common path, really, for a lot of people. Do you care to comment a little bit about the challenges of being an academic, doing research, and then also having to be a little bit more practical and then the commercial aspect as well of that practicality? You know, it's really interesting. It's such a different skill set to learn. You know, a lot of times those of us in academics are there because we're not great risk takers. And you start companies and boy, you're really, you're really on thin ice in many situations and dealing with uh, a different way of thinking and a different way of having to communicate ideas. And uh, for me, it's very energizing and I love learning new things. And so, you know, now I get to read such exciting things like contract law 
and uh, accounting for <laughs> I, dummies. And, are you sure uh, that's exciting? Because I think it's a great cure for insomnia, but I'm not <laughs> sure if it's exciting. Yeah, you know, it's it's just, again, looking at kind of a, a whole different way of thinking about solving problems. And, uh, you know, I, I have a really terrific mentor who built a, a very big mining technology company. And it's been fantastic to be able to stand in front of a whiteboard and just scratch out ideas until you get them absolutely right. And then you have that aha moment. Okay, okay now, now you know your value proposition. That's step one. <laughs> you know? um, so, so it's been fun. But I think that's really important. If you don't get that value proposition right, in my opinion, sometimes I think in the world of academia, you don't quite understand the value proposition that you should be giving industry. And, and hence, the industry is really kind of non-fussed about that interaction because you're just not pitching it the right way. So I think that whole value proposition thing is very, very important in this space. I find that the lean startup model is so powerful in terms of thinking about your value proposition and who your customers are and, and their pains and what gains you bring to them and all of that stuff. I map over to the research side so easily. And I almost think that when we teach researchers how to do research, we need to start with the lean startup model. And it just makes everything seem to fall into place to me. I wish I, wish I had known this 30 years ago um, because it really would have changed my perspective on how I think about doing my research. So to me, one of the most engaging things is, again, making that connection back from a completely different way to think about problems from the lean startup back to very traditional research. And it's powerful. So you think there could be room to apply that in just pure research? So if that model that you could utilize would be a, a better way for you to get started on exactly what you want to do or what impact you want to have? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we tend to, to think about research as, okay, this is what I know how to do. And, and I think this is the next step. But take that lean startup model and force yourself to think really, really hard about why. What's my purpose for working on this problem? And what's the impact going to be? Who needs this? Is it just the academic community, which is fine? Is it somebody else that, that needs this? And then once you get your mind wrapped around that important purpose statement, your value proposition, and that understanding of what impact you want to have, then you can write a much tighter research question and hypothesis and build your research out from there. Uh, as opposed to simply saying, I like this research question, it's interesting to me, therefore I'm going to pursue it, and I'll get a paper out and I don't care about anything else. So to me, really, you know, the goal is to do impactful research, and the best way to start with that is that lean startup model. I think that's a really, really valid point. Well, I think this is one of the, the points that a lot of people that do research fight with, is they go, well, I did all this cool stuff, but now nobody actually wants to hear what I'm saying. I think the problem is always phrased that industry is too dumb to understand what I'm doing. Part of the problem could be on your end of the fence as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think this ability to, to think about who it is that needs this solution or turn it around and say, you know, what is it that's keeping people up at night that I can address and really understanding what it is that the problem is not in your terms, but in terms of the end user. 
And I think if more of us did research from that perspective, we would end up allocating our academic capital in ways that would be much more impactful. And I think the whole concept of the lean startup that I quite like is that it is heavily built on feedback. You create a concept, you, know, you get feedback. You then create a minimum viable product and you get a feedback. You create prototype, you get feedback. And I think if you adopt that, the key to me is really the, the various stages that it forces you to get feedback. Whether it be positive or negative, that's the whole point of finding out. And I, and I think adopting that kind of level of advice coming in, it's surely got to be better for you in the long run. Yeah, I, I sure think so too. And, and I think it's not that hard to map into academic processes because, you know, giving a presentation at a conference is one form of getting feedback on your product. And, and so I think it does map into traditional academic processes, but I also think that it might open people's minds in academia to think about different processes to do research that would be a lot more productive. Yeah, and I think like, you know, there's also uh, like a scalability thing. Like I come up with one idea, I think it's fantastic. I go take it to 10 people and all 10 people say it's a really bad idea. Then maybe I should be a little bit reflective on the fact that the only person that's, that thinks this is a great idea is me. So maybe the idea isn't that great. It allows you to, I think, evolve a little bit as well. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And I, I think that uh, for me, one of the most exciting pieces of it is that ability to critique the ideas and constantly rework and reshape them. Um, you know, you go through so many iterations of what your value proposition is and, and then you feel like you've got everything solved and you get out there and, and suddenly you got to find a, you got to make a pivot and then you, you think you're going down the right path there and you pivot again. And, and eventually with that feedback, you get there, but you've done it in incremental steps. So it's not like, do or die when you have to make changes. And uh, I think we would come up with some really clever research ideas um, if more people kind of thought uh, using that model. Exploration Radio is brought to you by Steve and Ahmad. This episode was produced and edited by Ahmad. If you want to find out more about this podcast, Check us out on explorationradio.com or follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. And we're even on Instagram. And if you like this podcast and want to help out, well, there's two things you can do for us. Give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And consider supporting us in producing more of this content. You can find the details on how to do that on our website at explorationradio.com support. Until next time, Let's keep exploring.